For those who are just visiting today, uh, you're catching us in a um, segue. We're actually doing an excursus. It's a fancy way of saying I'm off topic. And, uh, and I'm off of John. So we're going to take a break from John for the summer. But we were ending with this idea that God is seeking worshipers. God. That's what, he, that's what Jesus tells the woman at the well. In John 4, God is seeking worshipers. One of the reasons I was so excited about that and so arrested, so challenged, challenged by it, that I threw my glasses. No, the reason I was so challenged by it is because God doesn't have to seek for anything. You see, when, when, when Bible writers and Jesus and others, and Jesus as the Son of God, start saying things about God that don't make any sense, you know you're onto something really important. Because they're using ideas that don't, don't work. There's dissonance there. God knows everything. God, God sees everything. God knows all. God controls all. But he's looking for something. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Ah, but as we follow the journey of the Bible story from Genesis on, we're going to find, we're going to get clues. We're going to see how God does seek. What his seeking means. What it looks like. What he finds. So, and we take that as a metaphor for God's relationship with us and his worship. All right, so let's turn right now. We're here. Now we're in an Old Testament and we're going to talk, we're going to hear some names. Bezalel, Bezalel, and Aholiad. We're going to call them B&O. I'm just going to keep that, but I'm going to keep that all morning long. That's going to be my shorthand. And this is, the, there's a bunch of things that happen in this, this little odd Bible text. This is the first church building. It was actually a tent. But it was the first church building ever made. This is the first funding church drive, right? We're going to read right here. It's about worship. So we're going we're to look at this. We're going to read the story and massage it. Because in the story is Jesus. And he's not hidden. He's, he's right there. He's right there. Jesus is right there. And I think what the Holy Spirit does in worship for you and me, it's right there. And I'm hoping the gospel love, gospel worship, gospel joy is going to is going to get a hold of us. Okay, so that's that's kind of the plan here. We're jumping here now. He's, we're building the first the first worship facility. It was a tent, and so a couple firsts happen in this text. This is the first time that the Holy Spirit fills somebody in the Bible. First time, first person, Bezalel. And his partner, well, not partner, I can't say that in San Francisco. His friend, a holy ab. <laughs> Sorry. Language limitations in my context. And so, all right. Uh, there's a second verse called by name. Actually, it doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible that it says that expression where God called somebody by name. What's that about? Let's read it and see what we get from it. Okay, we're in a dusty place just west and a little bit south of Palestine. And the people are on the road. They're living in tents, so God will live like his people. Then Moses said to the people, oh, I'm sorry, let's read this. Why do we trust the ancient texts of our faith? This ancient, ancient text, 3,000 years old. Why do we trust it? For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. He gives the spirit without limits. 
Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the I Am has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs, to, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and in cutting stones for setting, and, and in carving wood for every work in every, for work in every skilled craft. Have any of you ever tried whittling? Wouldn't it be great if the Holy Spirit anointed you to whittle well? Ah, I was a terrible whittler. Okay. Um, he has filled them with skill. To do every sort, oh, I'm sorry, this one. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or, or by a designer or, or by an embroiderer in purple and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Basically, this is. Uh, where Ebby works. That's what all the people were. <laughs> this is Ebby's context. Bezalel, you know, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the I am has put skill and, and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall work in accordance with all that the I am has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the I am had put skill, and everyone whose heart stirred up in him to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They, kept, they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task he was doing and said to Moses, the, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the I am has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command, and a word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. That's never happened in a building drive since. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work, and more, and more. This is the word of the Lord. We have come, Father, and let me pray, Father, I ask that you would teach this this uh, this sinner how to preach and how to how to bring your your word your glory your words the worry words of my of you my father but that's not enough uh, Holy Spirit uh, fill everyone else with the skill of listening <laughs> the skill of hearing and applying what we hear here we pray it in Christ Amen uh, Peter and uh, Sibyl, will you turn that thing around and prop up one edge of that, that black whiteboard? <sighs> How many recognize this? Tell me where it's from. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. For love is not love which alters when it alters alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. No, it is an ever fixed mark, a star to every wandering bark. Who wrote that? Shakespeare. Why? Why? Why did Shakespeare write that? Because he was in love with a woman. Love built that poem. You know, it's pretty impressive to write something and 500 years have people quoting it a world away. That's pretty impressive. 
That's a lot of love. But you know what's funny? We don't know who his lover was. We don't know. Isn't that weird? All right, here's another one. Green Sleeves. Who knows the song? Green Sleeves was all my... You know what that is? You know who wrote that, what that song was written for? It's a love song. Oh, you love that song. I know. I'm going to tell you the true story. It's actually written... Well, it's written for a prostitute, but... But, um... That's a medieval term for green sleeves. It's a medieval term for a woman of uh, a woman who saw her body. But um, but it's a love song. But again, it's buried, and it's about a prostitute. And you see, you see, even in the most beautiful creation, that's a song that we all of her hum in our hearts and creates feeling and emotion. Let me not to the marriage of true minds. That impediments. That was a wedding I was at recently. Was that was that at your niece's wedding that they read that? And I, I can't remember, but, but um, again, anonymity. So Shah Jahan spent 22 years, 22 years, and bankrupted the, Mughal, the whole Mughal dynasty to make a tomb for his wife. Does anybody remember what it was called? $870 million he spent to build her tomb and wound up bankrupting his dynasty. I'm talking about the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal. 22 years in bankruptcy. You know what's funny about that? It's all this love for a woman. He had 11 wives. The reason I'm bringing all that up, Taj Mahal, the most beautiful building in the world today, period. A matchless song of splendor and beauty. A poem, eternal and translated in other languages, is so good. Enduring through the ages. Monuments of love. Worship. Art is one of the greatest expressions of what? Worship. It has always been so. It always will be so. It will be like that in heaven. What do the crowns look like in heaven? What's... What's, what are they made of? They're gold. <laughs> They're beautiful. They're workmanship. Somebody had to make them. Somebody had to make those crowns. Who's making the crowns in heaven? Maybe Abby will be. <laughs> I'm serious. That would be a great privilege, wouldn't it? So what's my point is, what I want to do is, is what we're, doing, we're, we're going through the Old Testament, we're looking for clues that will invite us, that will, that will uh, open to us a vista for worship. You see, I have the worship defined for me in the board there as the passionate pursuit of the person of Christ. And we're now looking at this. Okay, so where am I going to go with this now? I want to begin with a weird place about Christian worship in particular. Which is so exciting because everything I just told you, we're all motivated by the love of another and that person, but God and the person's desire for that person. But God, worship and Christian worship starts in such a weird place. Worship is not our search for God, not at all. In fact, that's what John 4 is supposed to be getting us to. What is God doing? It's kind of weird, it's going to blow your mind if, you, if you're not used to this. You can only worship if God gives you worship. If he makes you worship. 
We, he is in the business in his search, and this is the quality and the character of his search. It's not like other searches. It's a search that what does what? That makes what it's finding. That discovers because it creates. And it's again, it, he initiates. You see, a lot of us think that our worship is us getting out there, reaching out to God. And that is man-centered worship. And really, honestly, in this generation, man-centered worship has the day. And it means everything. The show must go on, right? And the show must be better. All we need up here is a fog machine. Do you think? I can't wait till I get a fog machine. We need a fog machine in the budget. Why? Because I want to... You see, a lot of us think of worship as our search for God. That we're a little unaware. That now, this God, our Father's discovery of us. <laughs> His chase, his initiation, and his calling. This is what really got me. Bezalel was called by name. Why? Well, this calling on the name has happened a bunch of times in Genesis, the previous book. And every single time it says, and then called on the name of the Lord. You ever heard that? It starts in, I think, Genesis 4. The grandson of Adam, Enosh, he says, and then began to call on the name of the Lord. Okay. But when worship really begins in God's direction, the tables get turned. <laughs> and what's happening? What makes worship work? I have called Miguel by name. Come and worship. And it becomes a command initiated and energized by the presence of his electing love. And that's what's alive today. That's the only thing that creates worship. It's not you going... <clears throat> I'm going to feel something today that kills me. You know, this, no, we're free. You don't have to whoop it up to feel worship. You don't have to whoop it up for this worship to be authentic and bring us into the very gates of heaven. You don't have to. Because he creates worship. You're free. <laughs> so, this, this, this is different. Worship is a command, as his initiation, as his action, as his, as his overflow. That makes worship so God-centered it's not even fun. It makes it, you, you know what always, you've ever heard this expression, it's in the Bible, and this kind of makes sense of it, because it's God who calls, it's God who fills, it's God who moves. That's why we would dare to church plant in San Francisco, why? Not because I'm that special, because we know God does these things, right? He is ahead of us, but this sets us free. I, was, I had an idea that was just bouncing around. All right, let's not be important. We are changed for worship. Oh, praise him. Be set free and praise him. But something else happens here that really, we are also changed in worship. Why? Look over here. So, Bezalel and the Holy Ab didn't make this. Just to be clear, they didn't make this. But you know what they made? They made the archetype of this. And what I mean is, well, let's see here. What they did was, they created in the Old Testament a theater. It was called a temple. And in that theater, they would rehearse. Which is what you do in a theater, right? You rehearse. And they're rehearsing this constant bloody rite. This constant slippery mess. This constant lamb upon lamb. Oxen upon oxen. Every morning. Every night. For a thousand years. Well, I got interrupted sometimes. But they were rehearsing. What were they rehearsing for? A picture of the love of God on the cross. You see, Jesus had to be known as a lamb sacrificing for the sin of Corey and the sin of Melody and the sin of Grace. Praise him. 
You see, worship and worship, and, and we are changed in our worship as we begin to celebrate and rehearse. And I guess on the other side of the cross, we're doing reruns. So these are, and we're doing endless reruns. That sounds kind of boring, doesn't it? Endless reruns. How about endless remembering? Endless re, endless uh, renewal. It's a, it's a constant Broadway revival for the church. <laughs> we're constantly bringing back the great story, right? We're doing it again. So here in our worship today, what we do, we're doing what God has commanded, what he has initiated. Caleb's going to come. He's going to drink this because God called him. And not because he's here for himself. <sighs> Praise him. Praise our Father. Praise his love. Look around you. Look around you. These are evidences that God is calling and loving others. And it's all around us. We're a part of it. We're caught up in it. It's exciting. And so now, every, so the Old Testament runs forward. We are changed in worship. The theater of our worship is to rehearse, reveal, and repeat the sacrifice of Jesus for sinners on the cross. Here we go. This is why you bring people to worship. This is why you come back. You know why? You need this. <laughs> There's this calling. And you know when you're casual and when you have resisted worship or perhaps ignored it or gotten too busy, you feel bad, don't you? <laughs> you feel kind of crappy, don't you? It's not merely an overactive conscience. No, no, no. In a sense, if you refuse to worship, what are you resisting? really resisting the love of God from eternity that wants to reveal himself in and through Rochelle and me and our voices and our song and our love you see we need to connect and reconnect and we need to trust this look I know trust the worship of God because even as we get so perpendicular something's happening horizontally and we are trusting the Holy Spirit because that's what happens here we are changed in our worship. Praise Him. But what's even better is where this goes. Others are then changed through worship. This is what kind of, this is the, you know, just step down. First of all, the step down is this Moses goes and talks to God face to face, face to face, so that his face shines. Okay, okay. He notice he uses the word call. Then Moses calls Bezalel, because God told him to. He says, hey, Bezalel, little lad, come here, and you go build the temple according to what I saw, what God showed me. So Bezalel and Aholiab were working. But it doesn't stay with them, does it? Part of the work of God is what? For who's it for? It's for the people that Bezalel and Aholiab are going to teach. Right? You notice that? They're going to teach another So there's a whole other group. But there's still another group. And it's the whole people of Israel. And what do they start doing? They start giving. They start giving their free will offerings to God. And there's a step down. There's a step down in the, in the work of worship. And it's always like this. There's a step down in worship where God, for example, and this really is interesting for leaders too. Those of you who are called to be elders in your family, there's a step down. And if your worship falters, guess what happens to the rest of the step down? Do you get that? You see, as it steps down, what happens? If you fail to worship, what happens? We fail to pass it on. If we fail to be a part of this wonderful worship seeking that our Father's doing, this wonderful uh, 
uh, scavenger hunt of his love, where he's uncovering stones and taking and calling the most unimaginable, my family's one of them, Zini, you're one of them, people who don't deserve it and don't belong there and are not God's people, and he calls them his people. And that step down, it's so essential. But I, I'm going to get excited about this. Look, I want to ask us five questions that I think the text demand. Are we gospel spigots? Let me say one more thing before I get there. Oh, sorry. What I'm excited about here is gospel worship. You know why I didn't? The reason that I didn't put that on the board is because when it comes, I, I pastored a black church, and I was, and have you ever seen the jerk? It's hard to describe, but I, this is my rhythm. I'm so painfully, painfully white that I, I'm not capable of gospel worship. And I'm, I, I didn't put that up there because I didn't want you to think that's what I was talking about. That's why I didn't put it up there. That's not what this is about. What we, what we see and are witnesses to and has, by the way, affected deeply our culture is exactly what I'm talking about, though, isn't it? Because the people alive with love for God affect other people. Indirectly, it may seem, but still powerfully. So that there's an entire kind of music in our culture that comes out of this. Just because it's worship, really. That's what I think. Because it's in the gospel, isn't it? What is the gospel? It's good news. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus' death is victorious for sin. 2,000 years later, for me, Jesus' death brings life. I have eternal life. Even with all the guilt and shame that has conquered me, I still know a God who loves me and has sent his son to die for me. That's gospel worship. It's a worship of effulgence, overflow, thanksgiving, response. It must happen. Okay, the reason I say all that is I want to ask these, I think this text demands we answer these questions. Because the sacrificial system pointed to Jesus. Bezalel and the whole B&O, we're all about Jesus. They're building the theater to, 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 for Jesus. Okay, are we gospel spigots? Why do I ask that? Because gospel spigots are stuck open. Did you catch that? Gospel spigots are, are stuck open. One of the greatest and deepest apologetics of this generation will be the anonymous and radical generosity of this church. That's what I pray. Because nobody can explain that. There's somebody here, somebody, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. You know what I'm excited about? There was a church, and I think it was in San, I think it was in Atlanta. I might be wrong about where it was, but they all gathered together and began to pay each other's debts off. What's going on? They began to gather together, and there was a, I've seen this happen. Now, people have come to me and said, how do you get your church to give so much? Like, I don't, we never did giving drives. You know why? I don't am against giving drives. You know why? Because I want the overflow, or I don't want anything. I'm serious. Because what are we going to do? Build a building and fill it full of a bunch of people who are just happy to have a building? No, 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 no. It'd never be. Because then the building owns us. We don't own it. And it's for our glory, not his. No. Let us be marked by a radical generosity. Oh, this is the miracle. And I hope we'll be at a place someday where we are able, because of the fiscal power God has given us in San Francisco, to do untold good for those who hate us and for those who we love are part of our body. I think there's a great adventure for gospel worship with gospel spigots. 
Because that's what we're called to be. And someday, wouldn't it be fun someday? Wouldn't it be fun? Where's my elders candidates? Eddie, wouldn't it be fun? Peter, Peter, wouldn't it be fun? Uh, Ted, you're not an elder candidate. You didn't do that. Uh, who else? Where's my other ones? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If we had to meet one day and go, how do we get people to stop giving? How do we get people to calm down? Would you, if we ever had that conversation, let's praise it. Two, are we gospel artisans? I'm bringing this up. Are we? Because if we have gospel worship, we will be. What do I mean by that? <laughs> There's a lot of expressions for this in the world. I was trying to think of one that I could, that I could, that I could express to you that wouldn't be offensive. And I found one. I think. I think we as Christians ought to sweat excellence. <laughs> See, there are other ones, but I can't use them. But we ought to sweat excellence. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, our goal is to have an excellent worship program. You know what? Ours isn't. Even though we have one, it's not our goal. You know why? Because once you, once you become a slave to some sort of show, whatever it is, or some sort of something that says how good you are, you're already, you're already gone. But, but, if we sweat excellence, what I mean, what's, what's that mean? If it's a byproduct of our love, then it's something beautiful. See that? It becomes the imperative. Because I, well, whoever I love, you know, Shah Jahan created an $870 million sepulcher, and nobody needed to tell him how beautiful it had to be. <laughs> because he was captured by a love. Are you? Are we? And I have this idea that we are gospel artisans, that we have taken care. And, and, and you, if you don't know it, a gospel artisan was at work making coffee this morning, and it was darn good, wasn't it? Because that's gospel worship. That's a part of it. So as we make choices and we make to move forward, we want to hold before ourselves that we will intentionally shape what we do. And you know, you guys, people get upset when I say, people get upset, but people notice and make fun of me when I, when I make all the rows very even. And they're not terribly even today and I'm distressed, but that's okay. But I think, that's, I think those are gospel impulses that we should listen to, to clean up, to, to, to do things, to make things beautiful for him. Nobody had to tell these men to make things beautiful. They just went and did it because they were animated by gospel worship. What's the third question we have to answer? Do you seek gospel grace? Do you seek gospel greatness? I didn't notice this, but every, cars, every craftsman for gold, silver, and bronze, I guess... I guess everybody probably wanted to be the craftsman in gold, right? Who wanted to be the bronze craftsman? You know? Who wanted to be the bronze craftsman? Just seriously. You know, wait a second. Do you, do you hear what's happening in all the details and all the everies in this text and all the little, in the yarns that are listed and the skill work? You know what this is telling me? This is telling us? Our Father, there's no job too small for His holy love to sit in and work in it and make it beautiful. And you know what I see in our church a lot? People coming to be served. I'm sorry, guys. I don't think there's any Sunday you come here you should seek to be served. But you should seek to serve. Why? Because that's seeking gospel greatness. Think of all the unnamed men and women in this text. Does it matter? No. Because it's all holy. And People setting up the drinks holy. 
working with the children, holy gospel worship, setting up chairs, cleaning them up, setting up the sound system, setting my sound at the right level. Sidwin is part of gospel worship. Do we seek gospel greatness, which is in the little things? Are we gospel infected? This is another thing. It says that Bezalel talked to a holy app, right? And then a holy app and all those guys working communicated something to the whole people of Israel. Tens upon tens, a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand people. What's going on? What's this next feature of gospel worship that's arising and bubbling up in the soul? It says there, it's, it's, it's that word for bubbling and coming up. The gospel infected through passing it on. If you don't infect anybody with the gospel, there's something wrong. Other people should be infected. And some people are going to hate you and die and get sick and want you to go away. And some people are going to be born a new life. But we, if we are not gospel infecting, and that's passing on and imparting and connecting and loving and being present with others, then we're full of crap. We're not a part of gospel worship. We're not a part of the tabernacle. And we don't know Bezalel and Holy Ab. And we don't know his God. Because just as God initiated with Abby, Abby is called to initiate now with others. It just doesn't end. And it cannot end. Why can't it end? Because it's centrifugal at this point. You see, <laughs> alive with the power and presence of the gospel and the goodness of God, what happens to people? Well, they become this kind of person. They become being though. <laughs> they become these people. Are we gospel infected? And finally, do we have gospel calendars? There's something that really amazed me. I'm pretty sure B&O had jobs. Everybody had a job. It's the answer why you had to. We had to see feed your family. I, I, I despise the professionalism of the clergy. I am not here to do gospel work, Johnny. You are. And I'm here to do it with you. <laughs> You're not supposed to hand off uh, ministry to a professional. No, far from it. In fact, I was telling Stephanie, this new employee, what is the vision for the church? And I said, I'm what I want you to do. Corey and Natalie are starting a ministry for interns. If God has put a call upon their life, our job in ministry is to help them connect that to all the things God has called them to do. Not to erect our own ministries. Praise Him. Because that's freedom for me, right? I get to be a part of what God's doing others. And doing through others. And you see, there's something here that, that we, if we develop this new model, if, we, if we're a part of this gospel spigot that can't be shut off, and, and, and we, are, we are now sweating for gospel artisanship because, we, because of our out, of, out of pure love, if we are now seeking gospel greatness and the humble things of setting up this stand and knowing that is holy, and anybody who would not set up that stand doesn't know Christ, if we go here, I'll be gospel infected and infecting others and passing it on. Finally, finally, what are we? Uh, I'm saying we need to be available. There's gospel availability. And I am weary of fighting your, of your calendar. I'm sure you're weary of fighting your own calendar. <laughs> but there has to be real availability. Sacrificial availability. Not just for the church, but for each other. For this is gospel worship. Now, this all comes back to a, a beautiful thing. You see, we're not about a building. We're about a people. And our father's not about buildings. He's about people. He makes buildings. He doesn't mind. It's fine. He's, he's, about, he's about that kind of presence, too. But right now, he's building a church right here. And I want you to get excited about it. Because I've been called, as a craftsman, to deal with some fine yarn. 
Yeah. My sister right here, Adele, that her gifting is fine yarn. So is Peter. Did we hear the song he wrote? I'm here, I'm here to help work the parts and pieces. And we're, we're all here called to work together and give together and have this gospel event, this gospel plant, this gospel reality, this gospel worship plant. You know what's funny? What we're planting here, this is kind of cool. We're planting what we just did. We're not really planting more than that. We're planting the reality of Christ upon the cross for sinners. And that's all. That's the exciting part. You see, the program has never changed. <laughs> Do you get that? God is still initiating. And when he called Ted, you know what he called him? Hey, Ted! Let's go! Well, it is. It's personal. It's intimate. It's immediate. It's available. Just like they were building a rehearsal theater for the divine drama of Christ upon a cross, we now, in theater, we take, and we know it's not just remembering, it's not just, oh no, it's the presence of our God with us. And as we take, and the way we take, and the way we talk, it all becomes an infection, and a spigot, and a, and a humility, and a grace. Hmm, maybe someday, maybe someday, Abby and Peter, McLaren and I, whoever elders or God calls, we're sitting there talking, and maybe it'll even be this conversation. How do we stop? Is there any way we can stop people from loving like this and telling people about Jesus? Because it's getting out of hand. <laughs> Father, we're not kidding. We have prayed this in Christ. We pray. Amen. All right, let's, let's worship. We have a pattern. <laughs> well, not he was betrayed. Our, Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it. The pattern's here. Gospel love. Here's the spigot. It's like a fire hydrant now. You can't stop it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. In a similar way, after supper, he took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Look at the way they're even arranged in rows. You see, this is gospel artisanship right here. Even the crackers are in rows. Look at that. Bezalel and the Holy Out were sinners called by God, who God initiated with. I know they were sinners because everybody is. This table is for those who have sinned and know it and yet want to rehearse again the love of Jesus. I want to hear it again. Is that you? Get up here. This is your table. But let me, let me, let me be a jerk. You know I want to be a jerk too? Anybody who thinks they're good. Because if you think you're a good man or a good woman, that's, this is not your tabernacle. You're going to have to build your own. Uh, and good luck to you. But this is not your table. And you're not a spigot. You're not an artisan. Not at the gospel, at least. Good people are forbidden because they have insulted God and they have no gospel greatness of humility in them. Finally, if you're a skeptic, and you're listening to me and you think I'm bizarre or strange or stupid or obviously believe something that you find impossible to believe, <laughs> that's fine. I've met people like you before. 
you have come to believe before. God called you here for a reason. Today. Watch us. And maybe one day you'll join us. To the left is grape juice for those whose conscience or taste prefers it. That's over here. This is wine. We're going to come get some bread, get the wine, go back to our seat, worship together as we, after we sing a song, and we'll be done. Let's stand. Tell me, Christian, tell me, brother and sister in Christ, as I serve communion to our worship team, tell me, what is it that you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.